0: Jesus once asked some fishermen to leave their nets and follow him. This meant they had to change their identity and their focus. They had to learn the ways of a new work, to connect their hearts to a new mission, to build new relationships, to give their time and resources, and allow a new character to be built within them. We may not be fishermen, but Jesus still calls us and disciples us in a new life. So, will you leave your net when Jesus asks you? Did anyone else have to job shadow anyone when they were in middle school or high school? Job shadowing involves spending time following a professional as they work. By observing the professional from anywhere from a few hours to several weeks, you can get a better understanding of their particular career. When I was in high school, I had to do a job shadow and I didn't know what I wanted to do in high school, but my mom was a librarian at an elementary school and I thought, that'll do. There's just one problem. I don't read much and indeed had no desire to be a librarian, but it was a way to check a box. So I worked it out with the school somehow. I convinced them that this was part of my career path and I could learn about a career from my own mother. Little bit of backstory, I couldn't even learn how to drive with my mother. Not because she was a bad teacher, but because I was young and she was my mom and anytime she told me what to do, I would just ignore her and do it myself. So the first day on this job shadow assignment, I show up. My mom has some things for me to do first, like sort books or file something in her office, I don't remember. And I just remember it was in the back of the room, away from everyone. Now let's play a game called, what do you think Matt did next? Did Matt, A, faithfully complete the assignment with impressive speed and accuracy, and then emerge from the room and ask his mother with genuine excitement, what's next or B lay down on the floor and take a nap. You kind of know what I did, don't you? Otherwise this is a really dumb intro. Yeah, I took a nap. I woke up 30 minutes later to my mother's voice. Are you kidding me? Just go home. This isn't going to work. To really help you understand this, I was fired by my mother for a volunteer position in under one hour on my first day, and I didn't even get a full REM cycle in. Now, thankfully, I learned a lot about work over the years from many different people in many different jobs, like when it's okay to nap and when it's not. But I'm forever grateful for the people that have helped me shape my ministry career. Out of high school, I worked at a summer camp and my boss, Corey Pina, modeled the importance of flexibility and grace and humor on a team. My first boss in a church setting, Scott Vance, taught me to always value the people of the church over the programs of the church. When I was in seminary in New Jersey, I worked at a church there and had two wonderfully smart and gifted women as my bosses, Karen Collins and Liz Heinzel Nelson, who taught me how to share God's love with students. But they also reaffirmed to me that women can be some of the best leaders. My boss at the church I worked at in Fremont, California, Greg Greg Roth, taught me how to care for people who are grieving. And my boss here in Gig Harbor, I forget his name, has taught me the value of teamwork and trust on a staff. Just kidding, Michael, I love you. So why am I telling you this? Well, here's why I give you a history of the people who have taught me how to do my job over the years. One, I've learned that telling a personal story at the beginning of a sermon helps people to connect with the speaker and the focus. But two, in light of our sermon series called Leave Your Nets, I want to put ourselves in the sandals of those first disciples for just a moment. Those first disciples had a career of fishing. I'm sure they had countless examples in their lives on how to do their job. Someone had to show them how to manage a boat, how to store and use and clean nets, maybe where the best places and the best times to fish were, and how to sell fish and make a profit, how to manage work and home life, and probably some other fisherman type lessons. I don't know, I hate fishing. Now imagine the day Jesus asked them to leave their nets and asked them to pick up this new work. When they said yes to that, they committed to learning a whole new set of lessons as they worked under the leadership of Jesus. And they didn't have YouTube to show you how to do stuff. So I'm not quite sure how they learned anything back then. To succeed, they had to follow the ways of Jesus and work like he worked. There's a term for this kind of relationship. It's called apprentice. They had to become an apprentice. And I think if the same call is on us today to follow Jesus, we're asked to become an apprentice as well, an apprentice to the work of Jesus, to learn from, be guided and shaped by his teaching and his values, and eventually to continue on in his work. Does this mean that you might get called to a new career? Possibly. If anything, though, I think we can plan at least to think of our work in a new way. To explore this, let's take a look at what Jesus says to the people who were looking to have their work transformed in Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. It says this, "'Come to me, all you who are weary or who labor and are carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart.'" and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you hate your job right now, the interchange of the word weary and labor here can make a lot of sense to you probably, but let's get into this mindset a little bit. Your work, your labor, what you get up to accomplish each day is always there. You still have bills to pay, expectations to fulfill, goals to accomplish, deadlines to meet, people to lead or people to care for, hygiene to keep up with, hopefully, Geez, sometimes the biggest victory someone has in the day is just getting up out of bed, and that's worth celebrating in those situations. But you have to do that on Monday and then do it all over again on Tuesday and on Wednesday and then again on Thursday and so on and so on. And if you allow yourself to get depressed with me in that reality for just a moment, hearing the promise of Jesus to give you rest for your souls and work for you to do that is easy and light probably gets you being more like, hey, tell me more. There's an interesting relationship between work and rest, isn't there? Do you know when Labor Day is every year? It's the first Monday in September. I have it on my calendar. You know what Labor Day is supposed to celebrate? Well, it became an official federal holiday in the US way back in 1894. And the purpose of Labor Day is to honor the American labor movement that the contributions that workers have made to the fabric of society. So in honor of all your great work and labor, we give everybody a day off. We should probably call it day off day not labor day but even the name of the day reminds us that we still have to go back to work but we celebrate work by giving everyone a day of rest there's a tension between work and rest and we all know it have you ever introduced yourself to someone and asked them how they rest probably not but you have probably met someone and immediately asked them what they do i'm not saying work is bad far from it but it's important to recognize just how much we do has become a part of our identities. Whether you have a job or not, you know what I'm talking about. Our culture tends to link someone's identity to what they do. You're a student, an athlete, a musician, a gamer. What you do is a part of what defines you. But what if that's not the way God intended it? What if he wants our identity to be something more than that? Come to me all you that are weary or who labor and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Do you feel easy and light? If I asked people closest to you to describe you, would they say that about you, or would they say that you actually feel a lot of pressure? Jesus uses the word rest twice in these three verses, and both times it is accompanied by a command. First, he said to all who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. Command, come to me. Result, I will give you rest. And that is one of the best lessons you learn when you become an apprentice of Jesus. And that I hope that you remember at least for the 25 minutes or so that I'm up here. Have you ever had a long day and you just wanted to go home and rest? Like, how do you do that? Where do you find your rest? Is it sleep? Is it Netflix? Is it reading a book? Is it food? Where do you find your rest? Jesus says, I've got your rest. Let me teach you. Now, this isn't a new lesson he's teaching either. This lesson was first given to first century Israel. And Jesus was speaking to Jews who were under heavy restrictions of the Mosaic Law, complicated by the fact that their religious leaders were corrupt and had their their own rules, and complicated even more by the fact that they were living under the Roman Empire rule. There's a lot going on, a lot to work through, and these people were probably heavy burdened day in and day out. And it's in this first context where Jesus first comes and says, come to me and I will give you rest. He offered them a new way of working through all that. And it starts with an invitation to come to him. Sounds similar to an invitation to becoming like an apprentice. So in verse 28, Jesus offered the promise of rest if people will just only come to him. And in verse 29, he explains how they get it. Take my yoke upon you. That's command number two. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hold on to that part about the yoke for a minute. We're going to come back to it. But that second time he says the word rest at the end of verse 29, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was not just talking about physical rest. He was offering soul rest. Now when I say the word soul, what does that make you think about? What is your soul? Dallas Willard gives this definition. Our soul is like a stream of water, which gives strength direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When the stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all that we do. Your soul is the essence of who you are. So when Jesus said that he has rest for your souls, he's saying, I'm going to the source, to the essence of who you are. I'm going to your true identity, and this soul rest I have for you will transform your entire life. The Bible links our souls with rest a lot, actually. They kind of go hand in hand. Our souls seem to be designed for rest. King David understood this when he wrote in Psalm 62, Truly my soul finds rest in God. And in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I don't know about you, but I wake up most days and I go and I go and I go, and I never once think about my soul. It's not just something I think about a lot, but you want to know when I do think about it, the last time I was on vacation, because sometimes it takes getting a little rest to remind you that you have a soul and it needs to be taken care of. And then once you start thinking about your soul, you realize how much you've been craving that rest. Last summer my family and I were craving some rest and so we took the stimulus money that the government handed out and we took a trip to Hawaii because we probably couldn't have done it under any other circumstances. It was awesome. We rested as much as we could with three kids and a nephew in our care. We played on the beaches, we swam with dolphins, we ate great food, we played tons of card games. But the problem with vacation is that you have to come back home to the back to your responsibilities and your burdens. And bam, just like that, all the rest we felt on vacation feels miles and miles away. And somewhere deep down, I can hear my soul saying, don't forget about me, I still need rest. But there's another voice in my head too. And I think you hear it too. It's the voice that says your value is based on what you do and how good you are at it and what you can produce. So you better get back out there and get back to it. But that's not your soul speaking, and it's certainly not Jesus, and so you have these two competing voices in your head. There's a difference between enjoying what you do and loving it so much, placing so much of your identity in it that you don't allow your soul to rest. Matthew 16, 26 says, "'For what will profit a man "'if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul?' And when asked what the most important thing was, Jesus answered, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all of your soul, with all of your mind.' So if our soul is the core of who we are, and Jesus said that we need to love God with all of our soul, then we need to think about our souls more, don't we? We need to take care of them. And the Bible clearly defines that a healthy soul is one that finds rest. So how do we do that? How do we find rest for our souls? Well, let's go back to Matthew 11. Verse 29 says, "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls. "'For my yoke is easy, And my burden is light what does that mean to take on the yoke of christ well dallas willard who i quoted earlier said that it is simply to live the way jesus lived this means that we read the bible and we actually try to live out the ways jesus taught us to live crazy right check out how these verses read in translation in the message version which i love walk with me and work with me watch how i do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Jesus shows us how to do it. He's right there with us. The most common image of a yoke is one where two animals are yoked together. They bear the weight together. And so I think Jesus is saying, come to me and I will show you the way. You're not on your own anymore. I'm in this with you. He's not promising life will be perfect, but he is promising to be there with you. And sometimes that's all you need. Judah Smith says that rest is not the absence of problems, it's the presence of Jesus. And don't miss this, because there is something implicit in these verses that is easy to miss. And it's the reality that we can't put on the yoke of Jesus without taking ours off. He's inviting us to lay our burdens down, to leave our nets even. We believe that Jesus took on our sin and our shame when he was nailed to the cross, but that was not the end of him taking on things for us. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares about your sin, yes, but he also cares about your sadness and your fear and your pain and your anxiety and your stress and your depression, anything that burdens you, anything that you labor through. And Jesus says, come to me, trust me, give it to me, and I will give you rest. This is really hard for some of us because we like to be in control, even when it hurts. We like to schedule our rest time, but we find rest for our souls by surrendering everything to Jesus and trusting Him. I think that's what it means to live easy and light, to be free from the burden of having to do it yourself. And listen to me, it's impossible for us to do that when we place our identity in what we do because those burdens we carry become who we are. And the beauty of this invitation from Jesus is that we get to place our identity in Him. And another lesson we learn is that we are not our work. I changed jobs here at Harbor Cove in this last year, after spending six and a half years as a youth pastor, I now serve as a pastor whose responsibilities has shifted to church-wide communication and media. And I joke with students now and I tell them that the church doesn't pay me to be nice to them anymore. And then I say something snarky about their fashion choices or something. But the reality is just because my job is different doesn't mean I am different because I'm not defined by my work. I'm ultimately defined by the work Jesus has done in me. And so are you. You are not defined by your career or your mistakes or your relationships. Before anything else, each and every one of us is a child of God and that should bring some rest to our soul. Women, even today on Mother's Day, some of you are mothers and that's a big part of your identity and, and the work that you do as a mom, but that's not ultimately who you are. Before that, you are a child of God. How does that bring rest to your soul some of you don't have any plans to be moms or have tried to be moms and you know that that's not a part of your story and that's frustrating but that's not who you are either before that you too are a child of god so how does that bring rest to your soul and some of you have uh, still have problematic or even non-existent relationships with your moms or maybe your mom has passed away and you miss her all of those things are important to validate but that doesn't define you before that you are a child of god How does that bring rest to your soul? So what's your story? What's your identity? Not just what you do every day, but the stuff deep down that burdens you. Listen to me when I say that those things do not define you. You're a child of God. Trust Jesus. Find your rest in him. This is an important lesson to learn when you become an apprentice of Jesus. Living easy and light is not something that just magically happens when you realize you need it. We have to consider the practical ebb and flow of our daily lives. We need to develop healthy rhythms of rest in our lives. This is about work and family, and for some of us, school and our phones and our friendships, and choosing to make rest for our souls a priority in our lives. But before we can do that, we need to come to Jesus. We need to trust him enough to give him our work and to take up on his. Now, this isn't a sermon where I'm trying to get you to quit your job. Please don't go into work tomorrow or later today and be like, my pastor told me to quit. I mean, if you're at a place where you realize uh, your work is neither easy nor light, and it's quite a burden, maybe go home and have some conversations with some people uh, you trust about a career change. Um, But in in the next two weeks, we'll follow up with this idea of becoming an apprentice and explore some practical implications that this can have for you in your work. So please come back. But for now, I so think all of us should consider what our work, our daily schedules, our responsibilities, our burdens are doing to our souls, and consider how we can bring them to Jesus and let him change all of that for the work that is easy and light on our souls. So may you find a rest in Jesus this week as you learn and follow his ways. And I have three questions for you as you go. Number one, if you could pick a different career, would you? Why and what would it be? Number two, what has helped you find rest for your soul, and why? And number three, what are some lessons you'd like to, or still need to learn?